Well, good morning, Aldergrove. I just want to open this morning by saying how much I love this church. It is... Uh, I was just talking to a few people at the coffee break that if you had told me a year ago that I would be a pastor on staff at North Langley Community Church with you people in this location, I would say that that's impossible. And yet, just to see what God has done, this is, we are so, so excited. And so, uh, my title, if you want to short it, is the NLCC CLP. Um, so, if, if you'd like, you can use that. Uh, but it, even though it doesn't have Aldergrove in the title, this is still our home campus. This is still where uh, you're going to see us. And so we are so excited to walk this journey with you in a, a longer way. Uh, we are continuing our series in Abide, talking about worship. And as part of that, we've been interviewing different worship leaders. Uh, so this morning, I'm going to invite up Mike Murray and Jana Murray, his wife. Uh, Jan is on our prayer team, Mike is on our worship team, and because we're talking about the Holy Spirit, I thought it'd be great to kind of have that prayer-worship combination. So would you give him a hand, and if you guys want to grab a mic. And come over to the blue chairs. Uh, so this is Jana, this is Mike. Uh, if you want to just take a moment, how did you get connected to Aldergrove here? Uh, so we, uh, we went to Bethel, the church the, that met in this building before NLCC did, uh, for over 12 years. Uh, during that time, we both held various leadership roles. Uh, we were part of the same young adults group for much of that time. And we had a 14-person COVID wedding in this sanctuary three years ago. Um, we saw a lot of transition over the years, uh, but felt God's faithfulness through every turn. Uh, and we stayed at NLCC Aldergrove because we wanted to be a part of what felt like the culmination of what God has been doing for years in this church and this building. Thank you. Uh, I remember, Mike, talking to you years ago. You said you were encouraging people to come because you felt like God was inviting people to get in on the ground floor. And so I think it's just really neat to see how that journey has come. I asked each of you to share an interesting fact uh, Jana, you are a maternity nurse, and Jana has been able to witness the birth of over 500 babies. So that's amazing. And Mike, I didn't ask you for an interesting fact. No, you I asked your brother-in-law, uh, <laughs> who you so kindly introduced his acting career to Kevin up here a couple weeks ago without Mike's knowledge. So Michael Bogris uh, told me that you attended French immersion class and that you got the nickname La Parisienne, which means the Parisian in French. And that for anyone here who speaks French, you'd be more than happy to converse with them. We. Oui. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, so uh, we're talking about the filling of the Holy Spirit. And so when we talk about the, the leading of the Holy Spirit, there's this balance between the Holy Spirit speaking during the week as you prepare, whether in prayer or for worship, and responding to the Spirit in the moment. How do you balance those two? Yeah, in my role uh, on the prayer team, I find that during the week as I spend time in the scriptures and as I pray, that sometimes God puts things in my mind or on my heart and that come kind of to fruition on a Sunday morning. And so on a Sunday morning when I'm praying with somebody, I invite the Holy Spirit to come and invite him to speak and invite him to guide our time. Um, and sometimes 
yeah, he brings things to mind right then, and sometimes it's kind of that weaving of what's come earlier in the week with what um, is coming in on a Sunday morning. Hmm. For me, it's um, investing time but making space. Uh, the other week, John, you said something like, I prepared for this sermon, but I listened more than I prepared. And that's how I would describe my balance. Um, I spend a fair amount of time preparing for worship, but I listen more than I prepare. And that's where I feel like the work is for me. Um, my propensity would be to invest hours into planning every last detail, i.e. writing a verbatim script for a simple church interview. Uh, <laughs> but but I, find, I find making space is huge, um, or is a huge, if not the biggest part of bringing the Holy Spirit into the process. Uh, as you speak to everyone here, as you speak to us, what could it look like for us to respond to the Holy Spirit even today? I think that responding to the Holy Spirit requires an action on our part. So I think when we give the Holy Spirit space in worship or prayer or, or in scripture, um, you know, often he's putting things on our hearts that he wants he wants to work on in us, but it's almost like he's putting the ball in our court. And then we have to take that step towards him to engage in the work that he, that he wants to do. And so I think that will look different for everybody because we're unique, but I think that a really practical way to engage is through prayer. And so, even if that's individually in the service, you just stop and you pray and you talk to God about what's going on or, or you ask some, one of your friends to pray for you after the service or, or if you come forward to prayer with the prayer team. Um, it just gives God space to, to speak and, um, yeah, to guide. And, yeah, I've just had a huge privilege of praying for lots of people and and I'm just constantly amazed that God comes and he wants to encounter us and he wants to speak to us and he because he loves us and so yeah I just think prayer is such a practical way I, I actually have the same answer um, as well sorry as my previous answer um, in, <laughs> invest time Invest time, but make space. Um, so at Bethel, I felt like the Holy Spirit prompted me with something to say every time I led worship, uh, which led me to speaking that to and over the congregation. Uh, sometimes it landed, sometimes it didn't, but creating that same space for someone or some people, um, and like I mean anyone, doesn't have to be someone already on the stage, um, but to share what they feel the Holy Spirit is saying uh, facilitates a time for everyone to respond to that. Um, and I've, I've really appreciated the reflective space at the end of the sermons uh, because of that reason. Thank you. Now, if each of you were going to preach today's sermon in under a minute, what would you say? I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> if I was going to preach, I think I would start with the reality that God is with us. And when we give our lives to God, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But I think just like in our faith, we daily have to choose to follow Jesus. I think 
it's the same thing with the Holy Spirit, that we have to invite him daily to come and to fill us. And when we do that, we're giving God permission to do the work that he wants to do. And, and when we open the door, then, then he can really do that transformational work he wants to do in us. So first, I would start with a topical anecdote about something being full. Um, I was thinking maybe gas car versus electric car or all-you-can-eat sushi or, this is much more likely, a story about my mental health to describe kind of how empty one can feel in contrast to being full. But seriously, um, I think it would still come back to investing time and making space. I've heard it said you don't have time for what you don't make time for. And I think the same could be said about space. You don't have space for what you don't make space for. So if you aren't making a new space for God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit, and you haven't heard from him in a while, maybe that's something to consider. So my, my question for the sermon would be, where are you or where am I intentionally making new space for the Holy Spirit to move into? Oh, thank you. Uh, one last question, uh, this is maybe, maybe more for Mike as the worship leader. In the song, um, oh, what's the title of it again? Come Thou Found. Come Thou Found, thank you. He's just that good. <laughs> um, there's the line, here I raise my Ebenezer. Now, are we supposed to bring our own Ebenezers, or are they provided? Something I love about John is that he asks silly questions like this just for the laughs. Um, but I know that John knows exactly what an Ebenezer is. So I don't need to tell you that. Um, but I did want to say thank you for interviewing us and good luck on your sermon. You're not supposed to close this. <laughs> thank you both for being interviewed. <laughs> But honestly, thank you guys for sharing. I always appreciate talking to you both, Mike and Janet, because your answers are not just in something like this, but in real life. They're always very thoughtful, very sincere, and very genuine, so thank you. Um, an Ebenezer is something from the Old Testament where people just kind of piled up stones and they said, God is my help. So it's a physical reminder that God helps us. And so here I raise my Ebenezer means in this situation, I'm going to declare that God has been my help. So when I wonder, has God ever been my help? I'm going to look back at the situation. Yeah, it was here. So that's what it means to raise an Ebenezer. You don't actually buy them or bring them. <laughs> uh, would you join me in prayer? And then we're going to dive into the sermon. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask you would make us aware of your presence. And though you are God and you are everywhere and you don't need our permission, you let us choose. So I pray you would soften our hearts, that you'd open our ears to hear what you're saying, and that you give us the faith to respond to what you want to do. And pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, we are talking this week, we're continuing our series rather in Abide. Uh, last week, Pastor Kevin talked about lament, which is French for the ment. <laughs> See, Kevin didn't think that was a funny joke. 
but I think it's in the delivery. <laughs> and so this week we're talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit, and for me this has been truly and honestly, if I had more time I would tell you how, a question I've been asking myself for 20 years. This literal exact question for 20 years. And so I'm going to try and take 20 years of thinking and praying and reading and reflecting and condense it into a few minutes. But it's kind of like we're at the beach. And have you ever seen someone who's really good at skipping stones? And just like... And so it's just these light touches. But if you were to stop at any one of those places, there's incredible depth there. And so what we're doing is we're going to, we're going to move far... We're going to move fast, and at any one place, you're going to be like, wait, what about that? It's like, yeah, there's a whole lot more we could talk about. But we're moving far, we're moving fast, and we're staying light. Because we've got 20 years to cover. And so we're talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Light touches on deep topics. Now, if you're new to Jesus, if you're new to church, if you're new to the Holy Spirit, welcome. We're very glad to have you here. This is an incredible place to be. And we're very glad that you're with us. And maybe you have experience with the Holy Spirit and you're like, I do not want to talk about this if it's going to get weird. And maybe you have a different kind of experience with the Holy Spirit and you are sitting there thinking, I will only talk about this if it's going to get weird. (laughs) And so we come in different places, some not knowing much, some knowing a lot and maybe being cautious, a little hesitant. And that can be understandable because sometimes we may have had a bad experience or bad theology we have encountered. And so I just want us to understand a little bit that that just because something has gone poorly in the past doesn't mean we discount it altogether. See, the Holy Spirit is not an it. He's not a breeze. He's a person. He's the third member of the Trinity, and it's this weird thing where as Christians we believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three people, but one God, and they don't share the God hat. It's not one God switching with three hats. It's three people, one God, and I can't explain it anymore. It's like God is so much more that we can only kind of grasp parts of who he is, and the Holy Spirit is a person. He's a member of the Trinity, so he's fully God. And when Jesus was with his disciples the last night before he died, he said, the Holy Spirit, he's going to come and he's going to empower you. He's going to remind you of what I said. And he's going to advocate on your behalf. In fact, Jesus said, it's so much better for you to have the Holy Spirit that I'm going to leave and make sure that he gets here. Jesus said it was better for us to have the Holy Spirit than to have Jesus in person. And so if we want to be apprentices of Jesus, if we want to live the life that he has called us to do, it is only with the Holy Spirit that we can do that. If we want to be apprentices, we have to figure out the Spirit-filled life. So sometimes we have had a bad experience, and we can get a little bit cautious, but I just want to say that the Holy Spirit will never lead us outside the bounds of Scripture. He will lead us, but he will never lead us outside of this. And so when we know this, we know God's heart. When we understand the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will keep us within the bounds of Scripture. Now, sometimes we've not necessarily had the bad experience. Sometimes we are the bad experience. Sometimes we are the bad theology. And I would encourage you to avoid the temptation of taking your own desires and your own opinions and dressing them up in God language. I don't know if you've ever seen or encountered someone being like, God thinks blah, 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 and you're like, I think you think that. 
and you want people to think God thinks that too. So we're not trying to get God to agree with us. We're trying to get to the place where we agree with God. Does that make sense? So God's at the center. We're within the bounds of scriptures. We got to figure this thing out because being filled with the Holy Spirit enables us to live the life that God has called us to. So we're going to look at a whole bunch of scriptures. We're going fast. We're going light. But I want to give a caution that the very thing that people do to try and convince you that the Bible agrees with me is to throw a whole bunch of Bible numbers at you and you get so overwhelmed that you're like, he must be right. And so I'm pretty sure Justin can confirm. Uh, we've got a great tech media team. Page numbers, did they make it through to the slides? I put them in at the last minute. No, there's no page numbers. We don't need page numbers. But there are Bibles in your pew, which means you can follow along with me. There's a table of contents at the front. When I give a verse, flip there. Read before, read after. Look at the words and say, is this Bible or is this John's opinion? It's important you understand that these verses exist in context because we can rip them out and do some terrible things. Let me give an example. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus gives us the encouragement to eat, drink, and be merry. Isn't that a wonderful life motto? And Jesus actually said these words. Eat, drink, and be merry. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> so Jesus said this, but if we take a look and we back up a little bit and look at the context, Jesus is telling a story. And in the story, a rich man's talking. And the rich man says to himself, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. So you can take the verse, you can take the numbers, and you can make it say whatever you want. And so what I'm going to give you is to follow along with me and make sure it's not just me. That it's not John's opinion, but we're trying to get to a place where we agree with God, not making God agree with us. Okay? Are we good? Excellent. We're going to move fast. A helpful picture for us to remember is that of liquid language. That the Holy Spirit is often, not always, but often described in liquid language. That the Holy Spirit is poured out. That we are filled up with the Holy Spirit. That you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of liquid language there. And as well in the Bible, humans are often described as containers. That we can be filled with love. We can be filled with fear. We can be filled with wisdom. So it's helpful to think of the Holy Spirit as a liquid. He is not a liquid, he's a person, it's a picture. And that we are containers, we are not containers, we're people. But that's a helpful picture, is liquid language. Now we cannot take being filled as the default. Being filled is not the default. In Acts chapter 19, Paul goes to a church in a city called Ephesus. Or not, it's not quite a church yet, it's just disciples. And it doesn't clarify if, if these are disciples of Jesus or disciples of John. But Paul goes there and he says, hey, have you guys heard about the Holy Spirit? And they said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Paul says, that's a problem. Because disciples who don't know about the Holy Spirit don't know everything they need. So he sits them down and he says, this is a better, fuller understanding. And they say, ah, now I get it. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And so it is possible to be a disciple and not know about the Holy Spirit. And again, we don't know if these are disciples of Jesus or disciples of John, but they're called disciples in the Bible. So it's possible for us to not know about the Holy Spirit. We've already taken care of that one. Secondly, Paul, he goes back to Ephesus later. We actually see Paul visiting Ephesus a number of times, and he also writes them a letter. 
And in Ephesians 5.18, he says, don't get drunk on wine, instead be filled with the Spirit. And it's almost a this-not-that picture, that it's possible to be filled with something else. He said, don't fill up this container of your life with wine, instead fill up the container of your life with the Holy Spirit. So it's possible for us to not know about the Holy Spirit, it's possible to be filled with something else, and it's possible to mix the metaphor for us to put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. Paul writes a letter to the church in Thessaloniki, and he says to them, do not quench the Holy Spirit. And the word there is, is the word you would use to actually take water and like dump it on a fire, to put out the fire. And it is possible for us to prevent God from doing what he wants to do, which is a beautiful and a sad truth. See, it's beautiful because God wants to do something amazing in our lives. He wants to come and he says, this, that, and the other, it could look less like you and it could look more like me. That the kingdom of this earth could look more like heaven. Are you up for it? The beautiful reality is that he gives us that choice. The sad reality is he lets us say no. And we can miss what God wants to do. We can settle for less. It's possible, Aldergrove, for us to stamp out what the Holy Spirit wants to do. See, it's possible we don't know about the Holy Spirit. We can be filled with something else or that we can prevent it altogether. But let's not go there. Instead, let's aim for the filling of the Holy Spirit. So once we're good with that, the next question is, when does this happen? This is something that the church has disagreed on over the years. And so I'm going to give you three answers that are very different and all true. So first... It happens all at once. When we believe in Jesus, after Jesus died and he rose again, he was with his disciples and he, he does this thing where he breathes on them. And the reason I think he breathes on the Holy Spirit is that the Greek word for the Holy Spirit just means breath. So he breathes on his disciples and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says that when you believed in Jesus, you were marked with the promised Holy Spirit. So we receive the Holy Spirit all at once when we believe in Jesus. But it also happens many times. Today is Pentecost Sunday where we remember that the Holy Spirit was given to the church. And in Acts chapter 2, the whole church is, they're all in one room and they're praying and the Holy Spirit comes down and like little Bic lighters on everybody's head. The Holy Spirit comes down and everybody's filled. And Peter comes out and he preaches a sermon and everybody's amazed. And a little while later, Peter, he goes along and he heals someone and nobody likes this and so they arrest him for it. And it says, as he's giving his defense, he is filled with the Spirit. And then he's warned, and he's released, and he goes back to the church, and the whole church is a-praying, and it says again that Peter, or sorry, rather the whole church there, was filled with the Spirit. So three times in two chapters, Peter is filled with the Spirit. So it's all at once, it's many times, and it's an ongoing way. How many people here, who are the grammar people here? Who is the grammar people here? Whoever just cringed. <laughs> so we are not going to do a lot with grammar, but we're going to do a little bit with grammar. And in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is a second person plural passive, passive present imperative. Sorry, a 
Second person plural, past, present, passive imperative. Amen. <laughs> now, what this means is that in English, we don't have different words for you, singular, or you, plural. So if I said, you look good today, you're like, but in Greek, it's, this, it's different words. So if I said, you look good today, you'd know I meant all of you look good today. And so here, Paul is talking to everybody. It's second person plural, all of you. It's imperative, it means you must do it. It's present, which in the Greek means it's ongoing. And it's passive, which means you don't do it. All of you must continue to let yourself be filled by the Holy Spirit. All of you must continue, let yourself be filled with the Holy Spirit. Second person, plural, passive, present, imperative. And that's what it means, is that it's an ongoing thing. It's not so much like a dam that we just build up this reservoir as it is like fresh water flowing through us. All of you must always keep on letting yourselves be filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's all at once, it's many times, and it's ongoing. Helpful? I think a plumbing analogy has helped me probably the most. Uh, did anyone here, and no offense, you don't have to raise your hand, did anyone here grow up without indoor plumbing? Okay, my mom did. And so she would share stories about having to use the outhouse, for example. And so you would, you would go out there to use the outhouse, but when I grew up, we had indoor plumbing, which means we didn't go out, everything that was out there is now in here. And it's a little bit like the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, if you wanted to meet with God, you had to travel to Jerusalem to a special building, and in that building was one room, and only certain people could go into that room, and only at certain times. God's presence was way out there. But at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came, and, and he lives in us. The Bible calls us the temple of the Holy Spirit. So what was once all the way out there is now right in here. But all of us here have indoor plumbing, and we don't have to use it. All of us could go out to the garden hose if you wanted a drink of water. You could use outdoor plumbing. And in the same way with the Holy Spirit, it is possible, I think, for us to be filled with the Spirit and not live like it. To have all of the plumbing, like when we, be, when we believe in Jesus, that we are plumbed with the Holy Spirit, but are we turning on the taps? Are we living like we're filled? It is possible to live like it's still out there. When the reality is, is that it's in here. What's out there has become in here. We don't just need access, we need flow. We need the Holy Spirit to be at work in us. Now this isn't just for fun, so what does this filling produce? In 1 Corinthians, this was a church that was very alive in the Spirit. And Paul writes two whole chapters, chapter 12 and chapter 14, about what it looks like to use what's called the gifts of the Spirit. And in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says that that is discernment, tongues, interpretation, prophecy, faith, wisdom, knowledge, healing, miracles. And there's others in the Bible, but those are the ones he mentions. And he says that these are not human things. These are God things. And they're showing up because God is at work in you, and they show up so that you can be encouraged and built up. No one has everything, and no one has nothing. We all have something. And so when we think in this building with these people and these faces, when we think about the gifts of the Spirit, who here demonstrates wisdom, that they know what to do? This isn't abstract. This isn't theory. Who is the name? Who's the face? Who's the person? 
Who here, if you're like, I don't know if God can do this, that, or the other, but you know what? I bet you so-and-so believes that. Who has the gift of faith? Again, not abstract. Who comes to mind? Because these are the gifts that God has given us. This is an example of the Holy Spirit at work in us. And if we can't think of anyone, I would say one of two things. Either number one, the Holy Spirit is at work and we just don't recognize it. In which case we need to kind of get our spiritual glasses on so we can see what God is up to. Or secondly, we're stamping out what God wants to do. So I think either we, we look better, we look closer, we look with intention, or we ask, Holy Spirit, is there something you want to do that we aren't letting you? We're going to come back to that a little bit. But not just gifts, the Holy Spirit develops fruit in our lives. In Galatians 5, it says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Now, how often do we approach these things like disciplines? That I need to work harder at this. I need to take a deep breath. I need to read some more books. I need to figure out this peace thing. And see, we treat these things like they're human things accomplished by human strength. But these are God things. And the only way they grow and flourish are when we are planted in the Holy Spirit, when we are irrigated by Him. These aren't human things that come about by human strength. These are God things that require God to make them happen. They're not natural. And so the church I grew up in placed a very high value on the gifts. You name the gift and we valued it. We saw it. It was actually something I've come to deeply treasure is my heritage there. But sometimes the fruit was downplayed. Like prophecy, amazing. Patience, don't worry about it. And I've been to other churches that have flipped it around. Like good, diligent study of the scriptures, the development of character and and faithfulness and steadiness. And and yeah, we've got lots of of love and self-control. But gifts of the Spirit, eh, that's dangerous. Let's leave it out. And I think to have a church that, that... values the gifts and downplays the fruit, or values the fruit and downplays the gift, is to have a church that misses out on what the Holy Spirit wants to do. It's gifts and fruit. Both. God wants to work both of them in us. And the way that I think this happens, and this has been one of the most helpful understandings for me, is through a lifestyle of moments. In Galatians chapter 5, there's these series of verses right around the fruit of the Spirit, and Paul uses these phrases where he talks about walking by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, living by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. And all of this is the picture, which I think is amazing, that we can forget that God slows himself down to our speed, that God doesn't sprint if we can only walk. And so God is walking at our speed. And he nudges us. That to keep in step with the Spirit is that the Holy Spirit's walking with us and he says, hey, left. Now right. Now straight. And for me, that is such a a beautiful, simple picture that as we walk through the week, moment by moment, it doesn't have to be weird. It can just be the Holy Spirit saying, here, left. Now right. Let's go straight that we are nudged, that we are led, and as we keep in step with the Spirit, we see gifts and fruit at work. And when I look at different decisions and moments in my life, I can tell you that this has been true for me. 
but sometimes it's a stronger one and sometimes it's a little bit more gentle, but, but consistently God has nudged me when I've needed the nudge. Now, I've had to grow in responding to that, but it's a um, lifestyle of moments. Now, what is the purpose of all of this? What is the goal? Again, we could spend a lot more time here, but part of this is renewed relationship with God. Then in Romans chapter 8, it says that the Holy Spirit helps us call God Father. And I think that's a hard thing for many people to do. That all of us fail in different ways. That none of us are perfect fathers, none of us had perfect fathers. And sometimes it can be hard to call God Father. But it's not even from us that we do, it's by the Holy Spirit. It says that we've received the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to call God Father. And secondly, it's not just helping us understand that we are sons and daughters of God, but it helps us to want what God wants. How many people here are parents? How many people here had parents? I just like seeing hands. <laughs> but it's this thing where parents tell kids to do stuff, and when kids are young, that's all you can do. You just tell them to do stuff. Don't run onto the road. Don't touch the stove. Put down the knife. And it's not so much that you want the kids off the roads and away from the stove and away from knives. I want my son to have a knife. But I want him to know how to use it. See, it's not so much that I'm telling him to do something. At the end of the day, I want him to want what I want, which is his health and safety. And in Ezekiel 36, God says, I'm going to take you as a people. And you've got this heart of stone, so you know what God wants, but it kind of stops there. And he says, I want to shape your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So not only do you know what God wants, you want what God wants. And there's a world of a difference between the two. When we go from knowing what God wants to wanting what God wants. That's part of the Holy Spirit's work, is, is changing our hearts from what we want to what God wants. So a new relationship with God, also a new relationship with the church. We talked about how the church has been given gifts, and it's like a potluck, where everybody brings something, nobody brings the same thing, and it's only together that we have a meal. And when we use our gifts in community, we together are blessed, and we are strengthened, and we grow as a church. And so let me ask you, what has God given you that only you have that you can share? And what does someone else have that you need? Because it's both. And so what has God given you? And who has God placed in your life to make up for what you don't have? And finally, power for witness. And you're like, ooh, this is where it gets weird. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells his disciples, do not leave Jerusalem. So Jesus has died, Jesus has risen again, he's unpacked the scriptures, his disciples believe in him, they have a testimony and they understand the Bible, and Jesus says, even though you believe in me, even though you understand the Bible, and even though you have this, this testimony, you aren't ready yet. You need power. So hang out in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. Once the Holy Spirit comes, which is what we remember today on Pentecost Sunday, then you're ready to go. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, into Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. How often do we treat God like an idea to explain 
rather than a person to introduce. If you were to tell me something about God, or if you were to tell a friend, would you explain God like an idea or introduce him like a person? And I leaned towards the idea part, because that makes sense to me. But then you're trying to convince someone about the intellectual truth of God. It's way easier to introduce him as a person. Let me give an example. I was in India a few years ago, and my, my dad was working with a charity, and the charity, they would go and they would build schools and dig wells, and it was amazing to go and see the kids, like to literally see the kids in the dump, digging for things that they could sell, and then to go to the school and to see the kids that were in the dump, and now are in school. And to talk to the people and the lives that had been changed. And one of the people I was talking to, he was a driver that worked for the charity. And so I was talking to him, and he told me their secret for church planting success. And here it is. While he was at work, his wife would be out and about in the neighborhood finding the people who are sick. When the husband got off work, he would go with his wife to the people who were sick, and they would gather some of the church together, and they would say, Jesus knows you, he loves you, and he cares that you're sick. They would pray for the sick, and the sick would get healed, and they would believe in Jesus. That's less idea and more introduction. Like, that's a cool way to plant a church. And we're like, ooh, but not in North America. Let me give another example. I used to work in a, a welding machine repair shop. And in this shop, there was Al and Bob. And... There were Christians who worked there, but by and large, this warehouse was not a sanctified place. <laughs> and Bob was open to faith. Al had not too much interest. And so one day I was working, and I was minding my own business. And Al was sitting over, and I don't honestly know what he was trying to do, but he had to get one part onto another part, and he was there for two hours trying to get this thing on. And Bob comes up to me, and he says, Hey, Al's been trying to get on that part for two hours. Why didn't you ask Jesus to help? I'm like, oh, I'm just doing my job. Like, and so I'm like, I don't know what the prayer is you pray for this. But I walked up and I'm like, uh, Jesus, would you help this part go on? Bang! Instantly on. All three of us were shocked. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, uh, and they were like, oh, uh, I'm like, all right. <laughs> and in that moment, I was not explaining Jesus. There was an encounter. There was power. There was something more than just me talking about an idea. See, that's part of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. And again, there's a whole lot that we can unpack there. But the filling of the Holy Spirit is God's presence going from out there to in here. He produces fruit and gifts in a lifestyle of moments for the purpose of restoring us in relationship to God with the church and the lost. That's what we're talking about. And so you might say, well, how does this bring us into worship? Well, Ephesians 5.18, to go back there again, Paul says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit one another out of reverence for Christ. Grammar people, we need you again. In this verse, there's one verb, be filled. And there's four participles. And what this means is that the participles are all anchored back to the verb. It would be like if I said to you, enjoy the day, have a nap, go for a walk, have good lunch. Enjoying the day is the main idea, having a nap, going for a walk, having a nice lunch. All of those are connected back. 
So when Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, that's the verb, and flowing out of that is four things. Speaking with psalms, singing and making music, giving thanks to God, and submitting to one another. All of those are connected back to being filled. They don't exist in isolation. They are the result of the overflow of the Spirit at work in our lives. Which means that being filled with the Holy Spirit impacts our conversations. That what we say to each other and about each other is impacted. That our worship is impacted. That we, we move away from our preferred style, our preferred songs, our preferred volume, and into what is God saying to me in this moment. That it impacts our attitudes, giving thanks to God the Father for everything. Take three seconds and think about something you don't want to give thanks for. See, this isn't a natural thing. It's not a human thing. This is a fruit of the Spirit. And submitting to one another, it means our relationships are impacted, where we no longer fight for ourselves to be first, but we seek the good of each other. This is the outflow of the Holy Spirit, and it impacts our worship. So what does that look like today, here, now, for us? Well, as Mike and Jana both said beautifully, we want to give space for the Holy Spirit. And we want to take time. And so if you are like, I don't know if I've ever been filled with the Holy Spirit, or I don't know if it's been a while since I've been filled with the Spirit, or I don't know if I've understood how to turn on the taps, Oftentimes in the Bible, not always, but often, praying with someone else is how people are filled with the Spirit. And if you're like, I want to be prayed for to be filled with the Spirit, we'd love to pray with you. And Jesus says that it's okay to ask. In Luke chapter chapter 10, Jesus says, you know how you as parents are willing to give your kids sandwiches? The Holy Spirit, or sorry, God is more excited to give you the Holy Spirit than you are to give your kid a sandwich. And so it's okay to ask for the Holy Spirit. And then secondly, the question is, is what does God want to do in our lives? It's a moment where we can truly say, not my will, but yours be done, because God gives us a choice. He will let us say no. So the question I would encourage you to ask if you're like, "Mm, I'm filled right up with the Holy Spirit, that's great. That's excellent. And you should be. And keep on letting it happen. But now what does the Holy Spirit want to do in your life? What does it look like to respond? What does it look like for us to be filled? Well, maybe it's a little bit vulnerable, but you might just have to put your Holy Spirit fire extinguisher away. And it might just be say, I trust you. Would you do what you will? Maybe it's that God wants to clear some space out of your life, that there's something else filling you. And he's like, mm, I'd like that room. So maybe there's something he wants you to clear out. Maybe there's a gift that God wants you to exercise, and sometimes it can feel like your heart rate increases, or there's a heaviness on your shoulders, or there's just something that you can't get out of your head. And, and it's like, I feel like God wants me to go talk to someone. I feel like God wants me to do something. And, and that can be the leading of the Holy Spirit. Maybe there's a gift he wants you to exercise. Maybe God is saying something to you, maybe a word or a picture or a verse, and it just keeps popping up. Again, never outside of these bounds. But he does speak. And maybe it's not something for right now, but it's a nudge to the left or to the right for later in the week. Maybe you're filled with thanksgiving when it doesn't make sense. Maybe God wants to cultivate a crop of fruit. And you're like, it does not make sense, but I've got so much joy right now. 
might find that there's a relationship that God brings to mind that he wants to do something in. There might be laughter. For me, there's often tears. I have cried more often right here than in the rest of my life combined. I would encourage you not to compare, but rather to engage. So I'm going to invite the band up, and they're going to lead us in a couple songs in Aldergrove. I would encourage us not to be a church that quenches the Holy Spirit, but that we would be willing to let God do the things that God wants to do. I do not want you to feel pressured or manipulated. And if you're like, you know what, God can speak to me during the week, he absolutely can. My two follow-ups to that would be, is he, and are you responding? And secondly, it doesn't have to be Sunday morning, but the beauty is, is that it can be Sunday morning. God can do something here, and I find for me, I I hear God at different times through the week, but I hear him most consistently in worship. So worship can be a time where the Holy Spirit leads us, and it's a time where we can respond to the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to invite you to stand. I'd invite the prayer team to come forward. If you would like to pray with someone, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, or even to know how to respond to the Holy Spirit, sometimes you're like, ah, I feel like God is leading me to do this, that, or the other, and I don't really know. Well, we are a body. We can discern together on that. So if you would like someone to pray with you, Uh, We've got the prayer team here, and here we've got someone in the prayer room at the back, myself, Pastor Kevin, we would love to pray with you. So the two questions are this morning, number one, are you filled, and if not, would you like to be? Number two, and this is your question to ask the Holy Spirit, is Holy Spirit, what do you want to do in my life? Would you join me in prayer? Holy Spirit, what do you want to do in our lives?